Welcome, welcome, welcome into the First and 30 podcast, our first episode of 2019. I'm your host, Harris Rubenstein, taking it through everything that you need to know about the NFL. Ladies and gentlemen, the divisional round of the playoffs is among us, or upon us, I should say. Saturday and Sunday kicks off one of the best weekends of the sports year divisional round NFL playoffs. So we'll be previewing every single individual game. But first things first, I want to go through a couple things from last week as well as the college football championship game. So without further ado, let's start at first and five. So I want to talk a little bit about Trevor Lawrence and I want to talk a little bit about Tua Tungavailoa who are likely to be the number one overall pick, not in this upcoming draft, but the draft after this one and the draft after that one. So the next, I guess, two of the next three drafts most likely, it will be Tua and then Trevor Lawrence as the number one overall pick. And what was interesting is if you watch the college football uh, championship game, what you noticed was a very interesting dichotomy between the two play styles of each quarterback. Now, Tua was much more decisive, was a little bit more, you know, he attacked the middle of the field a little bit more, whereas Trevor Lawrence was very much, you know, let's attack the big play, let's go perimeter, and let's get things outside the numbers. And the throws that really perfectly enticed that were, you know, the interceptions that Tua ended up throwing, both were in the middle of the field, one was a little bit over towards the side, but both were generally in the middle to, you know, middle left side of the field, and the other one was a deep shot down... uh, um, down uh, in between the numbers, whereas Trevor Lawrence, a lot of his throws were outside the numbers to Justin Ross, then the red zone, they go back to the middle of the field. There was one throw that Trevor Lawrence made, uh, I believe it was in the fourth quarter, he was on, uh, I believe their own like 20-yard line or something on the left hash mark, and he made a throw about 30 yards down the field on an out-crossing pattern all the way to the right side sideline of the field, crosses body on a line, perfect throw. And I was live with Chat Sports when that happened on the YouTube page. And when I saw that throw, I was like, this dude is just unreal. Like, it's just not fair what Trevor Lawrence is able to do as a true freshman. It just I, I, At this point, that was probably the best true freshman quarterback performance I have ever watched. I mean, against Alabama, that defense... You know, they don't really have a certifiable number one, like soon to be number one NFL draft pick wide receiver like they had in the past with a Mike Williams or DeAndre Hopkins. And Clemson just absolutely dominated Alabama thanks to Trevor Lawrence. Tua was okay. I mean, I think the game just ended up getting away from them. And when you're Tua's age and those games just get to the score of where it's at. I just think that, not that they gave up, but that game was just a little bit out of hand. And I think we saw Tua really pushing things and trying to make things happen that weren't necessarily there. Not to mention that that Clemson defense was just absolutely spectacular from snap one until the last snap of the game. So I'm huge into what we saw. I'm big time into Trevor Lawrence. I think he's going to end up being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, as will Tua. So it's kind of interesting. It's like like seeing uh, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson – 
in the Michigan State-Indiana State Championship game before they came out uh, and joined the NBA. That's what this kind of felt like, where it's you know Tua versus Trevor Lawrence, and these are going to be you know two of the quarterbacks in the NFL that we really watch for years to come in terms of shaping how the league is going to be. You know, once Brady and Rodgers and Breeze and Roethlisberger and Rivers all end up retiring in the next couple of seasons. So definitely an interesting matchup. That's first and five. Let's go to first and ten. Uh, before we get into the games, I want to talk about the NFL head coaching hires and give my take on each of the ones so far and kind of how things have been moving throughout and uh, you know where uh, where we currently stand. So let's first start with the Arizona Cardinals in terms of Cliff Kingsbury. I don't have a big problem with this with this hire, uh, mostly because look, irrelevant franchises need to do things a little bit more extra to make themselves relevant. For instance, like a, a Dallas Cowboys or a Pittsburgh Steelers or or, or or a team like that, the New England Patriots, are not going to hire Cliff Kingsbury as a head coach right after he just got fired with a negative record at Texas Tech. That's just not what they're going to do. But if you're the Arizona Cardinals, you're pretty irrelevant right now. You have Josh Rosen as a quarterback. You need to take a little bit of a chance in terms of who your next head coach is going to be. You need someone who's going to be a little bit more of an offensive powerhouse. Similar to, you know, I know everyone's saying, like, this is what the Rams did with Sean McVay. But, like, in a lot of ways, like, it is from, again, a, a reputation and a credibility standpoint. Like, again, if you're the Arizona Cardinals, you can afford to take this kind of shot because you were so bad last year. You know, Arians was a good coach, but, you know, obviously Steve Wilkes wasn't the best hire. You needed to take a shot in a lot of ways, and I think getting Cliff Kingsbury is a good shot. It's a good risk to take. You're the Arizona Cardinals. You have the number one overall pick in the draft. Might as well, like, really, like, might as well take a chance on Cliff Kingsbury, especially with how bad they were this past year and how just disastrous the offense was. So, I don't have a huge issue with it. Sure, should a couple of other coaches got hired of a Cliff Kingsbury? Yeah, but this is the Arizona Cardinals we're talking about here, people. Like, who really cares if the Arizona Cardinals hire Cliff Kingsbury? Like, again, this isn't the Giants or the Patriots or the Steelers or the Cowboys hiring Kingsbury. This is the Arizona Cardinals with a second-year quarterback. I have no problem with them taking a chance on Kingsbury. I think it's just fine. The one uh, that I have a more of a question mark with is Matt LaFleur, who the Green Bay Packers hired, who I mean, can't we all just see this going wrong? If if Aaron Rodgers wasn't able to get along with a Super Bowl winning coach in Mike McCarthy, you think the coach that he's going to get along with is an okay offensive coordinator? Like, I understand he had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay, and I understand that he's, you know, had his fair share of jobs around the NFL. He's been a coordinator for a very, you know, for a decent long time, he's been an NFL assistant for even longer. I just wonder, like, you know, you're looking for a coach that's going to match Aaron Rodgers. And all we've been hearing about Matt LaFleur since he, you know, since he got hired is, oh, he can intellectually challenge Aaron Rodgers and, ooh, he's not going to take crap from Aaron Rodgers. I don't want that coach. I don't really, Aaron Rodgers is 35 years old. He's not going to change. He's not all of a sudden going to become a different player because you got him a different coach. He is who he is. So you should be trying to get the best coach that can get the most out of Aaron Rodgers right now. 
not try to change him and make him all of a sudden have this coming of age moment where now he listens to people and is an easy to get along with human being. That's not how this situation is going to work. But with Matt LaFleur, I just, I would have, I would have thought that Josh McDaniels would have been the perfect pick for Aaron Rodgers because it would allow Rodgers to still be the player that he is. I don't think it would push him to be more of a leader, and I don't think that's Aaron Rodgers' game. I don't think he needs someone that's going to intellectually challenge him. Aaron Rodgers needs a buddy. He needs a pal. He needs a best friend. He needs a coach that he can shoot the shit with and, and you know, you know, chap it up. Like, I don't think he needs someone who's going to be constantly challenging him. Like, the dude just signed a $130 million contract. Why are you trying to get a coach that's going to piss him off? Like, Aaron Rodgers does not seem like the kind of guy to me that the more you challenge him, the more you're going to get out of him. It sounds like the better mood that he's in, the better he's going to play. And I just don't understand what this coaching search is for. Sure, you could be looking towards the future with Matt LaFleur. I don't know. It just seemed that Josh McDaniels was just such an easy slam dunk hire for this job. He's already had experience getting the most out of Brady in the latter half of his career. He's going to be buddy-buddy with Aaron Rodgers, which again is fine. He's going to run a fantastic offense, and it's going to be more creative, and it's going to allow Rodgers to actually get the most out of the last couple years of his career. And instead, they get Matt LaFleur, who... I mean, like, I get it. You know, there are a couple of advanced statistics say that his offense was really good, but, I mean, it's not like Marcus Mariota had a career year. Like, it's not like they did anything special with Corey Davis, a top-five pick. Derrick Henry, uh, you know, his high second-round pick. Deion Lewis, big-time contract coming in. It's not like they did a lot with these guys, and... I, I don't know. I just, I would have gone with McDaniels personally. Like, I'm sure Matt LaFleur interviewed a little better, and I'm sure that whole Josh McDaniels turning his back on the Colts thing also hurt him as well. I totally get it. But I, I just don't understand why you're trying to intellectually challenge Aaron Rodgers at 35 years old after giving him that contract. He wants someone who's going to be buddy-buddy with him. Mike McCarthy just pissed off Rodgers for the past 10 years. And now you're going to bring in a guy who's just going to continue to challenge him? I don't know. I don't think they've properly gotten a good personality match with Rodgers. I think the most would have gotten at him if he got a guy who made him feel better all the time. And I understand that those guys don't always work in sports, but I think we can all all agree that Rodgers probably needs to be coddled a little bit more than other NFL quarterbacks. I don't know. I, I'm not crazy about the Matt LaFleur hire, but that's just me. Let's keep going through here with a, a couple of these head coaching hires. So we went through the Cardinals. Excuse me. Went through the Green Bay Packers. Freddie Kitchens with the Cleveland Browns. Don't have a problem with. Uh, I think that uh, Baker really likes him. I like who they're bringing in on the offense as a defensive side in terms of their coordinators. This head coaching search for the Browns had more to do with finding a personality match for Baker Mayfield rather than getting the greatest leader of men. And I think that also has to do with the coordinators that the Browns hired also because, look, that also matches up to what they're trying to do on both sides of the ball. Now, they're trying to get Vance Joseph as their defensive coordinator, which I like a lot. I know that they're also looking at, at Todd Monken to come in and be their offensive coordinator. I know they're looking at Jim Bob Cooter as well. I think that whoever the Browns bring in as a coordinator is going to be as important as their head coach because Kitchens, with his inexperience, is going to need good people under him, and hopefully he can manage them a little bit better than Hugh Jackson. So I like the Freddie Kitchens hire. I think he's going to do a good job with Baker Mayfield. 
I don't think he's going to be like a Matt Nagy or Sean McVay. I think that Kitchens is going to be able to keep them stable. So what the Browns are going to be looking to do, this is what's going to happen, ready? The Browns of the next two to three years are going to start making the playoffs. Eventually, they're going to hit a barrier where they clearly need a head coach that's better than Freddie Kitchens. At that point, they're going to get rid of Freddie Kitchens and install another head coach who has won a Super Bowl in the past or is elite. Maybe someone like a Bill Belichick. Maybe he's leaving the Patriots at that time. Maybe it's a Gary Kubiak coming over from Denver. Someone who's been in that situation before who can maneuver the team through an NFL playoff on because I don't think that Kitchens is going to end up being the guy who gets into the Super Bowl. I think Kitchens is going to be the guy that gets them to the playoffs, but eventually he's going to get Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr on this team. Guaranteed, 100%, no doubt in my mind. So I think that Freddie Kitchens is a good bridge coach to whoever they bring in next. Sorry about the Denver Broncos. Everyone zigged. They zagged. They're bringing in Vic Fangio, the Bears defensive coordinator, who led one of the best defenses of the modern age. They are fantastic this year. Look, I think Fangio is going to do a great job with Denver, and I think that Denver needs to reestablish themselves as the defensive playmaking team that we know they want to be. And I think Vic Fangio is going to allow the focus to go back to defense in a way that Vance Joseph simply wasn't able to do. The one thing I also really like about Vic Fangio, look, if you look at the rest of the division for the AFC West, Andy Reid, coach of the Chiefs, Anthony Lynn, coach of the Chargers, John Gruden, coach of the Raiders. Outside of Anthony Lynn, who's done a fantastic job with the Chargers so far, you're going up against with Andy Reid and John Gruden as head coaches. For me, I would rather have a guy with head coaching, or excuse me, with a lot of NFL experience rather than one of these young guys, which is why I like the Fangio hire. He's been a coordinator for like 20 years 19 of those 20 as an NFL defensive coordinator. He was an offensive assistant for one year. I like this a lot. I think he's going to be do. Uh, I think he's going to do a good enough job to get the defense where it needs to be. Whoever they bring on the offensive side of the ball, though, is going to be just as important. They got to make sure that they can bring in someone that gets the most out of Case Keenum and Philip Lindsay and. The rest of the guys that they have on the offensive side of the ball, we know that Kubiak is now not going to be the, the offensive coordinator for Denver, so I wonder what they're going to do over the next couple of weeks in terms of hiring um, excuse me, hiring an offensive coordinator because that is going to be pivotal for this team. Let's jump through the last couple here because I'm going to talk about the games. Uh, I like the Bruce Arians hire for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think Colin Cowherd said it best. Tampa Bay hired an adult, and they need someone to really rein in Jameis Winston's career and turn him into the quarterback that they need him to be. If there's anyone in the NFL who could do that right now, it's Bruce Arians. Straight up. If Jameis Winston cannot perform under Bruce Arians, then he's out. There's really no other question at this point because Bruce Arians is one of the best offensive coaches ever. Really, ever. The amount of quarterbacks that this dude has turned into all-stars, it just it, it can't be it can't be understated. He's gonna do a good job, hopefully, uh, with Jameis Winston. Uh, the Bengals are bringing in uh, Rams quarterback coach Zach Taylor. I like that one mostly because the dude's from Cincinnati and understands kind of the importance of the team. He was a coach at the University of Cincinnati, so I like it. He's on the younger side. I think he, you know, good fl fresh blood for an organization that really needed it. So I like the Zach Taylor hire, and then. The Dolphins hire, or excuse me, the Jets hiring Adam Gase is so funny to me because I don't really understand the obsession that the NFL has with Gase. I really don't. 
he he spent like two years with Peyton Manning, and everyone's treating him like you know he's the second coming. I understand that Peyton Manning has great things to say about him, but like cool, awesome. He was good with Peyton Manning for a couple of seasons. Like, look, he didn't do anything with Ryan Tannehill. Didn't do anything with Brock Osweiler. And all of a sudden, it's everyone else's fault instead of Adam Gase. Now they're bringing him in to be the head coach of a of another AFC East team. And I, I don't know. I mean, look, if they can bring in Greg Williams to be the defensive coordinator, that is a better sign. But personally, there was a lot of... A lot, a lot of locker room issues in Miami with Adam Gase. A lot. And I understand that Adam Gase, you know, has this, you know, reputation around him, but he can't pull that same shit anymore. Like, he lost so many big-time NFL players by just being a dick. Straight up. Like, that's just what we've heard about him from inside that locker room is that he's just an ass. So, we'll see what happens with, with Adam Gase going forward. I don't personally like the hire, but that's just me. So that's first and 10. Let's go to first and 15 and start to get into a couple of these games while my dog whines at me because I have to take her out and I'll take you out in a little bit. Yes, I will. We got a little bit until we're officially done here on first and 30. So let's jump into first and 15. Let's talk about the Colts and the Chiefs game. Personally, my upset pick of the weekend. I love this matchup for, for Indy. I really do. I don't think you could have matched them up. I think the Patriots would have been an awful matchup for the Colts. I think the, Patri- the Patriots are the worst matchup for the Colts in the AFC because they have a good enough secondary to slow down luck, and they have a good enough running game to keep the Colts' defense on their heels with good enough play action. But I think this Chiefs team is, an, uh, is a, a great matchup for the Colts in terms of where the Colts line up in terms of their strengths. I think luck is going to pick apart the Kansas City defense. Pick it apart. It doesn't matter who their wide receivers are. I think he's going to eat them for lunch. This Chiefs defense is bad. I'm talking if they win the Super Bowl, it will be the worst defense to have ever won a, to have ever won a Super Bowl ever by a significant margin. This isn't a Super Bowl caliber defense, and I think that Andrew Luck is going to take advantage of it. I like what Marlon Mack's going to be able to do on the ground to shake things up a little bit. The only way the Chiefs are going to be able to win this game is if Patrick Mahomes plays of his damn mind. So we'll see what happens with Patrick Mahomes going forward with this Chiefs and Colts uh, matchup. However, I'm actually going to take the Colts in this one. I think the Colts are going to walk in there and win. Look, the Chiefs haven't won a playoff game at home since Joe Montana was the quarterback. I know that they got their wonder kid. I just think that they are running into the exact wrong team. I think if the Chiefs got matched up with any team, any other team, the Chargers, the Patriots, the uh, Colts, Texas, doesn't matter. It would have been a it would have been a slam dunk home playoff win for the Chiefs. However, I think this Colts team is going to give them fits. So that's first and 15. Let's go to first and 20. Let's talk about the other game on Saturday. The Cowboys and the Rams. I really like this matchup. This is going to be a really, really fun game. Uh, A matchup of two of the best running backs, if not the two best running backs in the NFL between Todd Gurley and Ezekiel Elliott. Two interesting quarterbacks, Dak Prescott and Jared Goff. Uh, Two defenses that are... Uh, a shadow, or I guess the Rams defense is kind of a shadow of the Cowboys defense in a lot of way in terms of what they want to do on the defensive side of the ball. Cowboys defense has been playing great over the past couple of uh, past couple of months. Rams defense, not so much. 
the spread on this game is seven. They're giving the Rams a full touchdown. And I think that's I think that, that line, I'm staying away from this line in terms of gambling. I don't want to go anywhere near this one. But I like this matchup a lot for the Los Angeles Rams. I think they match up quite well against this Dallas Cowboys team. I think they'll be able to do things on the offensive side of the ball. I understand that you got the two linebackers and whatever, but look, you know, big time playoff atmosphere in Los Angeles for this game. I just think that the Dallas defense isn't going to be able to hold up against a fresh Todd Gurley, you know, a Rams team coming off a bye. I know the Cowboys got the big win at home last week, but it cannot be understated. It cannot be understated. The Cowboys were a bad team on the road this year. Bad team on the road this year. Three and five on the road this year were not great outside of a dome, not great in night games either. I am not confident in this Cowboys team to win a big playoff game against the Rams. I think the Rams are going to win at least one playoff game this year. So that one playoff game has to come against the Dallas Cowboys. I think they're going to get the W here. Give me the Rams in this one. I think Saturday night's going to be a really, really fun matchup between the Rams and the Cowboys. Two teams on the offensive side of the ball that really want to do uh, uh, similar things in terms of working the ball through their running back and allowing that usage of the running back to create deception to move the ball down the field. I think this Rams play action is going to cause some absolute havoc, havoc for the Cowboys in this one. So give me the Rams against the Cowboys, 30-20. to 20. Oh, my Colts Chiefs score, by the way. Uh, give me 31-28 to 28 Colts. I think they win on a last-second Adam Vinatieri field goal. All right, let's go to first and 25. Let's talk about the Chargers and the Patriots game. For whatever reason, this seems to be the game that people are most sure about in terms of who's going to win. And everyone keeps saying, yeah, uh, the Chargers are going to win this game, right? Chargers are going to roll in there. They're more talented. You know, Rivers with the season he's having, blah, blah, blah. I, I am so not surprised by people counting out this Patriots team. They could not have asked for a better matchup in terms of the team that they are playing. Because, you know, maybe the Texans. Texans were definitely the better matchup. I'll take that back. But look, you don't want the Ravens. You don't want Andrew Luck coming into your house either. So the team that you end up with is a team that you've beaten over and over and over again with a quarterback that you've also beaten over and over and over again. Philip Rivers is 0-7 in his career against Tom Brady. He's an 0-4 in the playoffs against the Patriots, both at home and on the road. Now the Chargers are coming into this game. It's been snowing all week. It's going to be cold as all hell. They're going into Foxborough in January. Like We've seen this script over and over and over again with the Chargers. And now all of a sudden, what, this team is different? What is what is different about this team versus the Chargers team in the past? Seriously, like this this to me is the exact same team that the Chargers have always had. Couple nice pass rushers, a nice running back, couple scary wide receivers, and Phillip Rivers. And then it gets cold, and they have to win a playoff game on the road, and they totally shit the bed. The, they gave the Ravens every opportunity to come back in that game last week. Every opportunity. And the only reason the Ravens couldn't is because they were starting a rookie quarterback who, you know, the moment was clearly a little bit too big for him. He did come back in the fourth quarter in garbage time. But 
I was not impressed at all by how the Chargers played against the Ravens. Ooh, great. They were able to stop a one-dimensional uh, one-dimensional offense called by Marty Morningweg. Or Sean uh, whichever one. I think it was Marty, yeah, Marty Morningweg, the former OC for the Ravens. Like, I'm not surprised that the Chargers were able to stop one of the one of the weakest offenses in the NFL in terms of play calling and also in terms of of just their overall skill uh, skill position players. This is a different offense. Those kind of gimmicks are not going to work against the Patriots in Foxborough in January when it's cold. Like, it's just not going to happen. It's going to be 20 degrees out, and you guys are telling me that Phillip Rivers is going to go against everything in his career that says that he's going to lose this game to win? I can't see it. Melvin Gordon, I know he's not in the injury report. We know he's dealing with knee injuries. I think the biggest X factor in this game, though, is that Chargers defensive line, but the Patriots have done a good job against elite defensive lines this year. Year, especially at home. This Patriots team at home is a completely different animal than what they've been on the road. They beat the Colts, they beat the Chiefs, they beat the Texans, they beat the Packers, and they beat the Vikings all at home this year. This is a good home football team. I know the Chargers are good on the road. This is different. If the Patriots can get Sony Michelle going, I think I don't think this game is going to be as close as a lot of people are expecting it to be. I like the secondary the Patriots are coming into this game with. I think their defensive line has started to turn around a little bit in terms of the run game over the past couple of weeks as well. So color me surprised if the Chargers actually win this game. Given the New England Patriots in this one, 34. No, that, that's too high scoring. I, I'm going to take that one back. Give me... I'm going to go 28-24. Patriots take this one at home against the Chargers. Maybe even 28-21 if the Patriots pull away in a little bit more of an exciting fashion. Let's jump to first and 30. Let's talk about the Eagles taking on the Saints. This is also a really, really fun matchup. You know, matchup of uh, you know the Super Bowl winner from last year going against the Saints. You know, the best team in the NFL this year. I think that can probably be confirmed that he's been the best, or they've been the best team in the NFL so far this year. Uh, matchup of two very opposite offenses, opposite offenses. The Saints very much run their offense through their two running backs and getting the ball to Michael Thomas, whereas the Eagles are much more, you know, spread it around and allow the running backs to be more complimentary pieces rather than, you know, the main way uh, that they're going to win football games. To me, this game is probably the easiest one to call of the entire weekend. I think the Saints are going to roll all over the Philadelphia Eagles. Now I know that's probably the easy pick because the Saints have been so good this year, and you know it is still. You know, I I can't even say that it's Nick Foles, but it is this Eagles team that has been very inconsistent all year long. But this is a very, very good Saints team. This is a very, very good Saints defense. They have good receivers on the outside. Drew Brees is going to be able to take advantage of that Eagles secondary. I also think that Kamara and Ingram coming out of the backfield is just going to cause a little bit too much havoc for the Eagles. Look, they did a good job last week against the Bears in terms of stopping their running attack and making Mitchell Trubisky beat them through the air. The only difference is this time, they're not asking Mitchell Trubisky. They're asking Drew Brees off a bye in a dome. Yeah, that smells like a Saints win to me. So I'm going to take the Saints in this one. Let's go 20. Uh, let's go 31 to 17 Saints. I think they're going to roll over the Eagles. I think that the Saints team is just too damn good. 
I like what Zach Ertz is bringing to the table. I really do. But I think that Michael Thomas is going to catch 10 balls for 120 yards and maybe two touchdowns against an Eagles secondary. That got roasted, roasted by Mitchell Trubisky in round one, despite holding the Bears to only 16 points. So give me the Saints, and I'll go back through my winners one more time here. Going to go with the Saints, the Patriots, the Colts, and the Rams. Going to be a really fun weekend of NFL football. We'll be back with you guys next week for more NFL talk. I will be going through the conference championship matchups, and I will also be having a buddy on to talk through them as well. So stay tuned next week on First and 30 for our NFL conference championship preview. That's going to do it for me. See you guys next week.